Yosha Maragua. Hello, my friend. This is Chinupa Hanska Luger. Uh, I am an enrolled member of the Mandan Hidatsa Rikara tribe. My father's side is Lakota and Germanic, and I've got some Scandinavian in there as well. So uh, basically everything that made it into North Dakota um, made it into me. And uh, I just wanted to say hello and how excited I am to have this conversation with you, Leuli. If you wanted to introduce yourself as well, maybe we can uh, begin our discussion. Um, I'm really glad to be here as well. My name is Leoli Ashragi. I'm from the villages of Siumu, Salililonga, Leolumwenga, um, and Apia, uh, which currently hosts the colonial capital of the um, state of Samoa. I also have Marshallese, uh, Persian, Guangdong, English and German heritage. So similarly, everybody who traveled through the ocean ended up in me. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> really uh, glad that we can be together and share in this way. And looking forward to the day that we can do it um, in real life as well or off screen. Definitely. Um, that's really kind of fascinating. I think that there you know, is a conversation to be had um, in our, you know, genetic makeup as well as how we have access to and moved from like maybe uh some i don't know spaces i for for myself I, I i will not assume your experience because i don't know you well enough yet um and i try not to assume anybody's experience but for me i was you know i was born um i was born on the standing rock reservation in this little town called fort yates and uh fort yates coincidentally is an island uh, that juts out into the Missouri River. And I'm like river peeps from way back. Um, and I grew up on the Missouri River in a lot of ways. Um, my mother is an artist and uh, there was no market for art in North Dakota where we were from. So we ended up moving into the Southwest of uh, the United States to have access to like uh, indigenous art kind of, kind of world, you know, but because of the multiplicity of my background and because of um, my, my mom basically taking us off of the res, I experienced worlds. I experienced the multiplicity of worlds as well, you know? Um, and I think that exposure to that multiplicity is where probably a lot of the um, ideas that I form and conversations that I'm interested in having is because you know, on one hand, you get access to multiple spaces, but simultaneously, you're somewhat not fully accepted by any of them, you know, and, and there's something interesting about that as a uh, generator for ideas and thoughts. Uh, any input on that, Lily? Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel um, that uh, akin to that position. And that positionality, I was born in Uribara Nation Territory on the central coast of Queensland, but grew up on lots of different First Nations territories along the eastern seaboard of Australia, what's currently called Australia, uh, and also on our ancestral lands in Samoa. Uh, and my parents had a restaurant, the only kebab on the island in the mid-90s. And, you know, we'd go to grandma's house every day and... Um, it was really amazing to actually to have this experience of diaspora, but also of being grounded. Um, 
a lot of Samoan communities in Turtle Island, Aotearoa in Australia don't have that experience necessarily. Sometimes some are third, fourth generation. Um, so it's the kind of within and without um, experience that I have and my siblings have. And uh, my grandmother was an artist uh, on the Samoan side and on my Persian side was also uh, my grandmother I recently learned was a, a creative person, made a lot of um, carpets and things. And my Samoan grandmother uh, was a weaver. Uh, she made uh, really interesting, uh, she innovated in the customary um, bark cloth form and also in pandanas weaving baskets and sandals and voodoo doll <laughs> weird things. <laughs> um, a lot of really great uh, creativity that she was expressing uh, and quite independent of the gallery system. So it was quite interesting also to think about that recently. Um, and I feel that uh, become, it's like the positionality, I, I prefer the term belonging to identity. Uh, and I think it also ties in with uh, Musqueam curator Jordan Wilson's ideas of ancestral belongings and ancestral remains in museum collections rather than uh, objects, artifacts, because they're so living for so, for, I think all of us. Uh, and so uh, I, think, I think that that kind of influences how thinking about what people make as ancestral belongings influences how um, I see myself in the world and how, and the relationships that I'm uh, bound to and that I'm creating at different times. Um, particularly um, in this time where it's primarily digital uh, interfacing, it's quite interesting to think about, uh, you know, each me message that you send to a friend who's going through something or they send to you if you're going through something um, as like a, the maintenance of relationships. I love the, I, you know, the, the conversation of belonging versus, versus identity. Um, I feel as though that is like the greatest privilege that I have as a citizen of, you know, the so-called United States of America is that I belong to this place, you know? And, um, and I, I think that through the academy, through the Western lens, and, and really through a lot of how the United States has kind of influenced global economics, the idea of like belonging is so distant that um, they transformed that verb into a noun, right? Like belonging to uh, uh, something belonging to them, you know? Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting or their belongings, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I, I, like, I like the ideas of all of those things, but I think that the, the, the spirit of everything becoming and, and being a part of a, of a living experience is so contrary to the to the world that we kind of navigate, um, especially as artists. Um, for myself, I you know I work in museums and galleries, and and I'm like constantly being objectified. You know, um, the the bits and pieces of me that I exhibit become objects. You know, and uh, and they're traded as commodities in that sort of way. And there's something kind of like. I don't know, toxic. And there's some, there's definitely something toxic about that, but by participating in it, I'm also reinforcing it simultaneously, you know? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges to like navigate and, and transmit these ideas of belonging rather than belongings, you know? And that's probably across, across the globe. Yeah. I, I definitely feel that, I guess what I was trying to say earlier is that 
not only by our lineages, but by like purposefully living in different epistemologies at the same time, different ceremonial political practices at the same time. You know, we're just speaking in English, but we're bringing different knowledge systems from your nations and from mine together in this conversation. They're not like, it's like, I don't know, recently thinking about like POC English or like First Nations English or ways of like articulating worldviews that are quite definitely in opposition to this commodifying uh, mercantilist um, world order that only is, you know, it's only 500 years old and yeah. ours are thousands of years old. So it's like, eh, you know, we're pretty good navigating. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. We were doing pretty good without you. You didn't bring you didn't bring anything to the table other than like, yeah, <laughs> trauma. <laughs> totally. um, and then you did it to yourself too. I think that's that's the interesting thing is that um, because it's been perpetuated so heavily, it's it's hard to see that it that that's your legacy, you know. And and I think exposure to, you know, like. For all of the horror of of colonization throughout the world, it may be the salvation for the for the machine that kind of um, started all of that. Is that that like imperialistic building actually also navigated? I mean, granted, colonization is abrasive. You know, um, anybody who says it isn't is fooling themselves. And with abrasion you grind together these two things and really our world is not the two things that are grinding but that powder that's all mixed together you know underneath like that's the world we live in 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 honesty you know it might not be true but it's honest you know like in honest in honesty the ground powder of these two things kind of colliding into each other and um to acknowledge and to recognize that you may be able to influence and shift over you know a long enough timeline <laughs> uh, into something potentially really quite beautiful. Like the ability to um, have these conversations is is always like the silver lining of a very dark cloud, you know, that I, that I always kind of look at. It's like, yeah, I wish I knew my language better, but I am glad that I can communicate to you in the wake of, of assimilation. Totally. Yeah, I, uh, what you're speaking about makes me think uh, about how these, uh, the fixedness from Western knowledge of our territories and of our peoples. Um, I'm gonna you know, uh, extrapolate that some of the experiences of my people are similar to yours uh, and that we were never like fixed. Yeah, there were some villages that were there all the time but people were always voyaging. Where are you gonna get the flint for the ceremony? Where are you gonna get the jade? Where are you gonna get those nice feathers? There's always, and, 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 you know, all these like ethnolinguists are always perplexed how we have sweet potato across the great ocean. How do they have addresses that look like the same in the Amazon as in uh, Tahiti and in Hawaii? And you're like, well, you know, it's a highway. So I, yeah. I also feel like this um, uh, to decloister, to kind of um, break away from the enclave, which is like this colonial map making, uh, which really sets our territories as particularly in the great ocean as like small islands. And Epeli Haofa and others have written uh, this like worldview of like small islands scattered, you know, the confetti of empire scattered far away from our centers in Europe and North America are, you know, really um, 
at odds with the knowledge systems that we know, where whales are ancestors, sharks are ancestors, the Tara, there are so many um, relationships that are being tended to and in the current time being uh, restored if, the, if those beyond human uh, beings will have us back. Uh, and yeah. So I think part of the uh, part of the interesting kind of teachings that I've had as someone who's grown up in diaspora, but also on our lands, uh, is that there's this wisdom and movement that there's um, sometimes you have to leave to go and find something and bring it back. And I think there's uh, a really a wonderful friend, uh, Sarah Biscardilli. She's like, you think you're on in control of your own life? Like the ancestors are just playing you. And uh, we found each other at a residency and then we were like, oh, wow, you just like this like interesting spiritual connection of like, you're my cousin. And I haven't had that that often. Uh, and it's quite like, wow, you just, and then we like tracing all the lines and like, okay, so you have a story about this and we have a story about this. And <laughs> I think there's, um, particularly as somebody where I feel like I'm only able to fully express my indigeneity in relationship, in constellation to everyone else all around because we are so heavily colonized still within our own uh, minds, within our villages, within everything, um, the ways of living in diaspora, but also in the homeland in the Samarne Archipelago, which is divided between a US territory and a supposed um, British, former British and German colony, but I like to think of it as banana republic, uh, which I also have a passport for, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> that model of isolation must just be like, I don't know, integral to the system of colonization because that's kind of the experience that I've had as a as an indigenous person, even on Turtle Island, like the big continent, you know, is that um, we're all we we are kind of like an archipelago in a sea of whiteness, you know, in a sea of of uh, ex like colonialism, you know, each like each reservation is its own kind of little pocket. There are, you know, unique cultures and practices that exist within those. And it's rare, rare that they touch even, you know, uh, on the landmass. And of course we touched, but yeah, that, that idea of um, fixing something, not only in space, but in time as well is like definitely a, um, Kind of a model that I suppose uh, this kind of like Western experience experiment perhaps is a better word to use. Yeah, I just see that constantly kind of reinforced, which is kind of interesting because I think that's that kind of segues us into um, this idea of fixed in space but also in time. That's kind of been the major thing that's been driving my work towards like uh, indigenous futurism, or you know, I honestly I think of it as like science fiction uh and mostly probably because i wasn't educated well enough to understand the true definition of futurism you know um and where all of that comes from but uh i was educated well enough to be obsessed with science fiction films and books and i loved the genre but i never saw myself in that genre um and if i did it was only to reinforce this like primitive indigenous kind of kind of knowledge you know um there was always some sort of uh uh spirit spirit entity or or you know holy earth person who um was the closest thing that i could identify with in science fiction you know 
And so what really drives mine is like this idea of it's hard, it's hard to navigate our current circumstances because of the fixedness in time and in space. And the only way to have like a kind of truly honest conversation with my ancestors and the technology is to bypass now, you know, can I skip over now um, and then begin to have these conversations. And then even like the lateral violence of um, cultural protocols of like, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. We don't do that can be challenged by like, yeah, I understand that now, but in the future, you know, because I'm imagining this whole thing, um, it was imperative that we did, you know, it was imperative that we had these conversations in order to um, sustain us, you know, and that's the space that I like kind of engaging with. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like we, you know, I think as artists in a global art system within capitalism, uh, there is some agency and I like to think of it as this intercultural space because in a purely Samoan context, if that such a thing exists, um, I don't have speaking rights. I'm not a chief. I'm not a title holder in my clans. So I'm at the back cooking or, you know, cleaning or serving the food or whatever, when all of the multiple day uh, discussions and dialogues are happening. But that's not how most of us live in the second half of the 20th century onwards, um, mostly in suburbs, uh, you know, in factories and working elsewhere. Um, so I, I really think that pushing us to imagine ourselves in the future, bringing our languages into the digital spaces today really um, enables us to, to kind of break free from some of these things. And, you know, culture, as we, I think we both understand, is always evolving and innovating and there's always changes. But the effects of in, uh, the impact of colonization and colonial thinking is also on this, like, supposed fixedness we've never done we don't do that we don't break these protocols i was like we were never christian that's like five minutes in our history <laughs> yeah like, come on of course we used to, we had orgy ceremonies we had all sorts of things we had so many we had pantheon of uh, eight deities that we would uh, venerate as well as all the ancestors and now it's like we still venerate our ancestors but not so much the deities and i was like so what what about those relationships how come we're not looking after the insects in the same way what about all of the creatures in the reef we have like very low po turtle populations in many of the islands and then plastics everywhere, you know, burning plastic because you don't have recycling. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot of impacts that come on from that. And I really feel that uh, what's been interesting and, or what's been like really salvatory for me is to read uh, and be immersed in indigenous futures thinking from different cultures, particularly as we're still kind of, I think other Samoans and I are trying to like, uh, voice what we're uh, wanting uh, and like tippy-toe around some of those things where you're not allowed to do talk about this, not allowed to do this and just, I oh, know it's an art project, you know, I got away with yeah. it because it was an art project. <laughs> <laughs> and particularly um, Noelani Gujer Kaopua and Brian Kamali Kawada's text, Making Aha, Independent uh, Hawaiian Past, Presence and Futures, which focuses on Aha or in Samoan it's Afa, which is the uh, rope made from coconut senet. And it's so incredible that this is like a metaphor uh, or not just a metaphor, like it's the physical practice, which is tied in with history telling and future telling speculative practices that are centuries and centuries old. And so when you uh, kind of focus in on that, I was like, okay, so actually I know my grandma knew how to make Afa. Okay, so what about this? And then of course, each language has its own um, uh, like array of um, 
metaphorical meanings and interpretations, but really thinking that everything or so much of what our ancestors did was already super science fiction. It doesn't have to be like some spaceship in Babylon 5 and that we would watch <laughs> it in 1995, 1996 Samoa, being like, oh, okay, so it's like somewhere far from the distance. Um, and I'm just reminded that of uh, Carl Sagan, uh, the clip where he's on the uh, radio show, a TV show in the 70s. And he's like, interesting how in Star Wars, everyone in power is white. They seem so much like people from Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I think that's, you, you brought up something that I think um, is something that I always try to like, or, or I'm excited to examine these intersections in that future space, because so much of science fiction does reinforce um, our, our kind of present models, right? I mean, so much so that we have like, you know, the world's billionaires right now intrepidly going into space, you know, um, on this kind of like super colonial kind of kind of tip, which I support. I'm like, you should totally go. It's going to be awesome. Good, like, take everyone, take them all. The 5% with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Take your stinking money with you. <laughs> But the thing that I think is often missing from from um, science fiction is exactly what you said. And I think is actually like a part of what our universe is actually made out of, which is relationships and and these intersections, you know. And I, I love the idea of, um, you know, I consider myself an indigenous futurist just honestly so that I can um, engage with other futurists from other cultures, you know, where I'm like, yes, let's figure out how our cultures would would um, uh, inform one another, you know, in this place, and that the diversity of culture is um, develops complexity. Complexity is so much better at handling problems than uh, homogeny. You know, homogeny is like, yeah, the bananas are gonna die, you know, because they're all one banana. <laughs> like that, that that idea, you know, is is uh, kind of messed up. So. I like I like exactly what you're saying. This idea of how to um, how to show in the future we do collaborate, we do communicate, and we do share knowledge from different regions because culture is developed by the land itself. You know, the protocols, the ceremonies, the language, our phenotypes. You know, are literally embedded in the landscape that we we inhabit. Um, and there's incredible amounts of information that can be shared by that. Um, <laughs> that ability to create a science, uh, a life science in relation uh, rather than in exploitation, you know? I think it's really evident in the majority of television series and films in the science fiction genre that they don't read beyond Europe, that the people behind the screenwriters, the directors, so much of the casting directors as well, putting, you know, uh, fair-skinned people in people of color roles, racialized people's roles. It's just evident to me that like, even reading uh, a non-dominant narrative, so like all of the incredible corpus of Afrofuturist um, production alongside Indigenous Futurist production, like that's not even really on their radar and you know, a little bit of Russell Le Guin quotes here and there, but <laughs> really like the this like, space race in the some of the most tumultuous times on our planet uh it's just evidence that they really do not read beyond they don't understand that there are multiple ways and for us we can't give up uh -uh. like 
and and that's I, I think it's that that defeatism that's really um it's lazy and I find it really arresting uh, to think about uh this unmoored global minority uh that you know run so much of the planet um in disarray <laughs> yeah yeah well I mean that's this is the trauma of that dislocation if you don't if you don't have that relationship of belonging to a place you're sure as hell not going to stay on the planet you know <laughs> like that idea of going you know is in in the model that they design it's like dude that's such an old hat like you don't even have new technology you have really old technology with really new mechanisms for it. That's what you consider technology. I see no difference really between like a bird song and my iPhone, you know, or a satellite. Like this is communication. This is a really old technology, but the uh, mechanism is advanced. And it's like, like you need to pay attention because there are technologies that you've deemed primitive that are in fact so far beyond uh, compared to the like, um, I don't know, with that displacement and that dislocation, I think you're limited to your experience. And then couple that with privilege. The privilege is like, you know, really what's driving mediocrity to the top, you know, is that there's no, you, you haven't had to be innovative. It's all been quite easy. So yeah, there's something in, in that as well. And there's, there's a majority of us who have figured out how to innovate out of some really sticky situations that we didn't even want to be in in the first place. You know, it's, it's amazing. Like my experience as a, as a native person in the 21st century, I'm like, dude, this is Mad Max for us. This is a post-apocalyptic future that you only dream of. And you're surprised I'm not eating you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I've seen how you respond in your Mad Max post-apocalyptic narratives. We don't. We have like compassion and and uh, generosity that is like so deep that really kind of yeah. I don't know. There's there's something in that. There's also like in the local cinema, like maybe 1996 or 1997, we watched Waterworld in Samoa, and I remember. Being- <laughs> Wow, they're drinking their own pee. It's so weird. <laughs> like a child of a teenager or a preteen, but it's it's so interesting to also think about interpreting clouds and birds, uh, and then being able to tell the weather or on the ripples of the current on the river or on the lake or on the ocean. And you don't need your iPhone to look up a weather app. And I'm not saying that I have those skills, but I know that those skills exist. And a lot of people in this territory where I'm currently living, out in the nation territory, have those skills and uh, are adept in those technologies. And then we need to mine lithium and abuse human rights to have these phones, you know? So the the cost effectiveness and what, you know, thinking about uh, Planet of the Apes and other... um, I kind of set a future that as like that's it that's just what it's going to be where I don't I really don't I don't know there's I think there's a balance of thinking about how we can innovate our cultures and bring them with us <clears throat> into the futures that are uh, being designed <clears throat> in front of us but also uh, balancing the epistemologies that are 
being spread around the earth. I think we've had far too much airtime for Europe. Uh, and it's not <laughs> even like ancient Europe. You know, there yeah. are this like false lineage to uh, ancient Greece that actually comes through the Islamic scholars in Baghdad. And, is, and that's never acknowledged. Like it's been through multiple rounds of translation, all of these works. So you're kind of creating a specific um, white supremacist connection through the discipline of classics, but it's not, it's not as, it's not the whole picture. Like what about all the other people's contributions that you just didn't like? And you know, yeah. the cheddar man that they found, uh, his ancestor um, from who's like blue eyes and, or green eyes and really dark melanated skin. And that's like an ancestor of like a quarter of uh, current British population. It's like, okay, so you were, you were black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you just stayed in the shade for a really long time like the whole ice age <laughs> uh, yeah no that's kind of fascinating i like the the um the idea of being able to imagine these uh an alternative to that whole narrative right like we're in such rough times and you know i'm 42 years old i got to experience the world in a certain way i got a lot of bad uh, habits that I that I like learned, you know, that I'm really excited about, like um, this is these next like two generations after me kind of experiencing the world. But there's something um, there's something sad in that uh, perpetuated narrative, especially through like media and stuff like that. And I I'm afraid of um, hopelessness, you know, or really even just I don't you know I don't even like hope so much but just um no like courage or effort to consider something different you know to give up the ghost almost you know in being like man we're screwed the future is dark our planet is dying i've i've watched the news they said the planet's dying like eight times this evening how can i not imagine that for my future and um and like the greatest rally cry I can come up with is YOLO, you know, or, or something along those lines, you know, where it's like, that's not true. You know, um, even if you do only live once, you don't live alone and we survive you. You know what I'm saying? Like we survive the you in YOLO, you know, um, because we're, we must be responsible. It's like, dude, you're borrowing this place from future generations. Act okay. accordingly you know, act accordingly. And like, can we teach that? Yeah, like understanding that our bodies are not our own, that our ancestors and our descendants own them, whether we have biological children or not in community. Uh, I think that's a corner, you know, foundational teaching in so many indigenous knowledge systems. And yeah. Uh, I mean, and if nothing else, I'm food for kin. You know what I'm saying? Like guaranteed, you know, guaranteed. Uh, my, the more than human relations that are that exist on this place are literally going to turn me into something else, a dance, a song, a sprint to get the next meal. You know, um, there is a perpetuity in that kind of thinking, you know, where like you don't have to fear death. Like, like that's like that's a that's a good little rest, but you get to move on. I don't know. I, I think that is, you know, in the myth that was generated in the u.s in their with their revolution and and um these like models that we've been following only for for a few hundred years in the human experience they're so incredibly toxic like rugged individualism 
just all of these kind of like, you know, patriarchy at whiteness, you know, even, even like race through phenotype, just that, and then that even like distilled down to its purest form. Yeah. I'm like, man, you're foolish. Like that is such a foolish model. And, and moreover, you don't even know what was sacrificed for you to be considered white. And for that, I like, I have sympathy. I want it to be empathy, but I don't know if I have the faculties to relate hundred percent, but I sympathize and that's rough. You know, like you don't even realize that like your great grandparents sacrificed belonging to a place in order to reap the benefits and the privileges of whiteness. And uh, yeah, I think that there's a, there will be a reckoning in that belonging, you know, um, in that need to, to belong that I think is coming to a head, you know, and granted, I'm sure every generation for the last hundred years has been saying that, you know, there is a reckoning and it's coming to a head, but that also is contrary to the individual lifetime model that has been shoved down my throat. I'm like, yeah, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a few generations, but let's let, let me die trying. I also think that we've already been through the desperation phase and so many of our peoples are still in that phase. Uh, So it's not a, a future point. It's somewhere where we already are and have been. Uh, so the only way up is up, you know, from here, like when, the, especially the first generations of contact and warring with Europeans and some East Asian empires as well, but primarily Europeans, that, that lack of hope or the lack of a will to live, you know, led to the destruction of from within as well. We like kind of, didn't see a point in going on. And so I feel like there's that um, lesson perhaps in our communities today, but particularly like thinking about, well, kind of a last point that I wanted to make about not really seeking permission because permissions can't really be had to extend the meaning of indigenous language terms. It can be done in uh, community, in collaboration, in partnership across people of different generations with different knowledge skills, knowledge, um, uh, different experiences of knowledge and understanding. But then like extending the word for bark cloth to mean screen in terms of like time-based media for Mm. me is like really uh, it kind of makes sense, you know, but then to have curator or gallery director that create terms like that you can't have the word for manager because that's a particular um you know that kind of comes as a type of chief and that's the term for um you know a responsibility to all beings within a set territory so it's more like serving community these are some of the things that i've been working on with other simon artists and um knowledge keepers but i think it's part of like to kind of go back to where we where we began thinking about how we see ourselves in the future and how we hope future generations can live lighter than us. Yeah. Well, and the thing that's interesting, even about what you were saying that, um, you know, strikes a chord in me is uh, some of the terms and definitions that we have to like translate are um, they're singular, you know, they're, 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 they're a noun form, you know, this is, this is what you are, you know, period. But as you describe that and try to find the language for it, it's like, oh, no, I actually have to describe your function, not who you are, not what you are, you know, as a as a singular thing, but what your purpose is. And then 
redesign the, the word to be fluid and in flux, in action. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your job is, is what you do. <laughs> I mean, as you're describing just briefly on um, some of the language things and some of the terms that you're working with, I don't have language for it. In fact, my cultural population, uh, according to census roles, is roughly around 15,000 people in the entire world, you know, are, are Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara. And um, it's tricky because I was fortunate enough to be raised by my mother and, and by my grandparents in a lot of ways. But I think that the, the cultural context that I, were, I, I was privileged enough to be a part of um, my whole life, you know, luckily I was born in 1979. So in 78, it became legal for us to even practice our spirituality in the United States. And I was fortunate enough to have my entire life be exposed to that. And my mother and grandparents kind of like drive to um, cultivate this kind of cultural knowledge. And like that first generation that got to live that way, which is such a privilege that I didn't even really understand I had until I got much older. And I think in that, I also recognize the responsibility of sharing my experience, and my understanding to the next generation, you know, um, that as I'm getting older, I'm in a position, maybe not culturally, but just uh, socially to uh, encourage and, uh, I don't know, inspire, I, I suppose, like another generation, you know, hopefully. And so with that being said, I, I'm like, how do you we move the, the step one step higher. How going to be my skull that you stand on to see a little bit higher? And so in my practice, I like, I like taking some of our ancestral knowledge uh, and I you know, transcribe it as uh, future ancestral technology and look at the continuum of life and the technologies that we developed and try to put that in a future context, not just to encourage and inform uh, the dominant cultures of our world, but also so that we can see our contributions to our to our uh, popular culture, you know, um, at present. Because that's one of the hard, the hardest things is that even as the world is beginning to um, collapse and and you know collapse in on its own kind of idea, the hubris of of, of man. <laughs> Uh, is beginning to implode. There are efforts, right? These green economies that are developing all over the globe. And who's capitalizing on those green economies when simultaneously they're co-opting and appropriating indigenous knowledge? I'm like, I don't mind that you're doing it is, you know, with all of the privilege and kind of amplification that you have, if only you would acknowledge your source. I would say it would be more important to, to, uh, <laughs> help support your source and get a better understanding of what it is you're trying to sell. But uh, at a bare minimum, like share the, share, share your source, you know, um, where are you getting this information from uh, just as a way to allow us to see our contributions to a, to a global uh, space. And so that's kind of like what I'm trying to do with, with my stuff is like, Oh no, these like green economies that are being, this is old, this is old technology. You know, this is old technology that, that is being co-opted. And yeah, so how do we challenge that? And then how do we bypass even that? Like, uh, it's so old that in fact, in the future, we don't mention you at all. You know, we don't mention the company that 
decided to like <laughs> clean up a river, you know, it's like, come on, you can do better, you know. Um, anyway, that's a little bit of some of the taking all of this information and honing it into a, a distilled kind of future dreaming. Definitely. And I think that the copywriting, the patenting of different ancestral beings uh, for different indigenous cultures around the world is a, not a benign act. You know, it's a it's a very it's definitely based who gives, you know, whichever company the authority to patent an ancestor Western knowledge does. Uh, and it's all based on doctrines of discovery and containment and all these things that are, you know, uh, vehemently um, disproven by so many of uh, amazing uh, leaders from around the world. I think it kind of brings me to thinking about future proofing. Uh, and so uh, last year and this year, the project that I'm working on uh, within uh, Imaginative uh, Samoan Histories, Screens and Intimacies is trying to kind of cut across the borders of the diaspora and have some uh, artists, Samoan artists living in uh, Canada, United States, New Zealand, and uh, Australia, as well as in the islands, have their works in conversation because it's never really happened. And I eventually have some kind of like Vimeo channel or something like that where uh, people can go and access uh, the works and then also, um, you know, see interviews and things just like kind of have a, a cultural immersion experience that's not uh, we were living in the darkness for thousands of years and then Christianity arrived and then we begin, which is what all history uh, in schools in some in Samoan archipelago is like and how the church controls the narratives and our histories. So it's for me, like it's, it's not even decolonial. I think it's just trying to imagine where we need to be already, but to, you know, give one little step towards that. And I think in my artistic practice, particularly in recent works, Awauli and Renaissance. I'm not trying to go too far in the future, I'm trying to imagine maybe like 2025. <laughs> like, this much can change since the beginning of the pandemic. You know, we, I, don't know I, I used to get on a plane and two days and, and a day later, I'd be like in New York or in Berlin or something. Crazy, crazy, because I can't even go to the next state right now, you know, or a few, a few hundred kilometers from here. So thinking, and I can't go home. My, you know, Samoa and many Pacific Great Ocean contexts are uh, in self-imposed blockade to protect themselves because we have, you know, really uh, paltry medical systems because people have been <laughs> using their labor uh, on plantations and in factories instead of building up uh, capacity. So yeah. I think those works trying to uh, imagine wellness. And so that is sometimes in collaborative performances, sometimes it's like, what would it look like if we weren't like the confetti of someone else's knowledge system? And within a culture, you know that, but then to actually visualize it is like in an online archive or like in a performance work or in poetry, but still do it a bit in English, a bit in Samoan or whatever. So it can be read. <laughs> That's kind of like, I, I think I don't give myself the luxury to think too far yet. Uh, we didn't see what 2025 brings if I'm still around, but uh... <laughs> I feel that I, 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 I don't even know what time my thing exists in because I'm like, you don't know, it could be next Thursday, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there, there was something that you had mentioned, and I'm trying to recall uh, exactly, I guess maybe the, the importance of considering considering future thought is something going back to what you had mentioned about like 
you know, we don't le- live in that time of tremendous crisis where there was it, where, where it was like, maybe I'm giving up the ghost, you know, maybe there's no point. And that happened. That happened quite a bit to a lot of people around the world. And then, you know, why do I consider future stuff? Because even in the wake of all of that, in the wake of so much brutality, in the wake of like um, the heart work and the care to like go on, we did like literally us here on the screens right now, you know, all of us, even through the, the, all of that trauma and, and suffering, we're like hard to perish. We don't give up well, you know, um, even to psychologically give up the ghost and not go on. We do. And here we are, you know, and I, and I believe in our, um, I, uh, I believe in our adaptability to incredible circumstances that if you're not talking about the future in, you know, in that like, connective kind of kind of narrative you're not acknowledging the effort and the suffering and the um strength of your ancestors i don't know i can't help but think about a future that's past me you know um i don't think about like you know this i don't think about next week you know (laughs) i think about in a hundred years or 25 i think in something that's like so much past uh, uh, are present that that j- the dream is real there, and I think that's the power of that sort of kind of future forward thinking is that because it doesn't exist and because it does exist will exist. It's like gardening. What are you going to plant? And these that's what these dreams are. These are like seeds. I'm not certain what the fruit looked like that I got the seed from, but I know how to care for it and I know how to put it in the soil. And I know we're like all of that other part, we'll see what those fruits are. I don't get to eat those fruits. Those fruits are for future generations. It's a, it's a long con. <laughs> I think it's, you know, this lesson of humility when you position yourself uh, as individuals, as collectives, uh, collectivities, where you're constantly thinking about many generations to come and those that went before and the lessons of their lives the trials and tribulations, the partying, the harvests, you know, whatever innovations and uh, joys and sadnesses uh, assailed them. Uh, I think that's what's really missing from Western epistemologies, that there's no humility in thinking about the future. It's like, oh, I'm going to be all powerful. I'm going to be a billionaire. What the hell? We don't have words for billionaire in so many languages for a reason. It It doesn't even exist in French. You know, and I was just thinking as well about there are two words in French for um, future, futur and avenir. And avenir literally means to come. Uh, and then in Samoan, the word for future is lumanai. Uh, but luma is like, uh, you know, it's a direction as well. Uh, but then tayao is morning. It means tomorrow. And it's also a form of oratory. So then there's uh, there's like a play on like, which direction you're necessarily going to, uh, in. And I want to kind of circle back to um, Kujirka Apua and, uh, and Kamali Kuwada, and they uh, write, futurities are ways that groups imagine and produce knowledge about futures. Thus, futurities shape the horizons of possibility for specific futures. We see indigenous futurities as practices of future making that often disrupt the linearity of Western liberal democratic understandings of temporality. Just to kind of 
to some of uh, it's really this text has really impacted me for the last few years because it's it's really based in language and really based in tangible practices and then kind of like you know addressing the academy and whatever but I think I really believe that for folks like Samoans and I think in other archipelagos in the Great Ocean uh, we're still on the journey of uh, returning to how to interpret our dreams and to be comfortable to do that and the teachings that our ancestors and other beings are, te- are sending us through dreams and I think it's hard also when English as this language has been co-opted by you know new age uh, colonial uh, presences and so it's it really has to be through our languages or like a very specific context of like I'm speaking about this. I'm not speaking about Standing Rock. Uh, not Standing Rock. Oh my God, uh, <laughs> Burning Man. You're, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it like, got to like, a point that it was blurry. I promise. I... <laughs> it yeah, got real blurry there like, for a minute. You know? <laughs> Good for us. Yeah. Well, I, I I'm I'm always like. I'm always baffled by the spaces that I get invited into. And, you know, maybe this is some sort of imposter syndrome or something like that. But like um, the world that I came from was so tiny and the world that I have access to is so broad that I'm always humbled by the compassion and the care of the people I meet through this artistic life that I chose to live, you know. Um, it, it provided to me access to um, ideas and spaces that I am forever humbled to be in the presence of and, yeah, kind of expand the way that I think about myself and in relation. It's like I, my self becomes clearer the more people who I meet because there's new information that, like, I don't know, light hits a certain facet and it just glows in, in your, in your radiance. There is a facet of me that glows. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, as a non-binary Fafafine person, um, I wrote a thought the other day and I was like, there are Fafafine, Fatane people in the future. Uh, and I think this assumption from Western colonized education, miseducation, that all of our ancestors were automatically heterosexual, automatically in you know a monogamous du- dual relationship, uh, is a violence against their memories and their practices and their ways of living. Some of which we will never understand um, today. But I think um, I think it really came for me like trying to navigate and find queer ancestors on, on different you know, sides of my family trees, and then being like. Okay, well, maybe we'll never find them. But then I was like, wait a minute. I think everyone was queer. (laughs) And just this, like, as much as you're, uh, you know, thinking also about naming and how in this, like, Western sense, you have one name and it's supposed to serve you your whole life. But in so many cultures, you have different titles, different roles. As your roles change, your name changes, people call you a different way. Uh, You uh, enunciate your, your place in the world in a different way. I think also our, of course, our sensual, sexual, ceremonial relationships would all change. And so for me, it's like, yeah, I'm currently feeling like this, but maybe in a few years I'll change. And that's the fluidity of um, being. And I think uh, a lot of what I do artistically and then um, uh, 
curatorially and then also in text is to kind of resist that uh, compulsory heterosexuality. Not that I, you know, think heterosexual people are bad or anything, just that this is less than 150 years old, this duality of heterosexual and homosexual or gay and straight or whatever. It's like, and then with the media apparatus of the 20th century and the missionaries and anthropologists goes everywhere and infects everybody. But so many cultures have many, many genders and, and that's just one form, you know? And I guess I was trying to explain um, they, them pronouns to my mother a few years ago. And she's like, oh, yeah. I mean, you change your roles throughout the day. So your pronouns would change throughout the day. And I was like, whoa, you're so advanced. Like, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, I think, yeah, like that, that naming and that labeling, right? Like that is a way to, um, that, is, that is an inherently violent thing. You know, it's like, I'm going to end you immediately by describing you at this moment. And that's what you are forever, you know? And so I really do like what you say about uh, finding and acknowledging like the, the fluidity of queerness, you know, like that, that to, to find it isolated is to actually reinforce this like binary kind of or um, uh, dualistic kind of kind of mentality. But like, no, 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 we're super complex, you know? Um, and like, what are you basing all of those uh, ideas on? Is it like purely like um, uh, sexual orientation or is it so many other modes and models that, that um, develop even more complex ways of of who and what a person is you know um i do like i like the 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 acknowledgement of flux where it's like can't know like you can't know <laughs> and i think that comes to also like the village as this central site of indigenous social relationships where different folks are bringing up you know, like, it's like a, it's kind of like a stereotype or a trope, but I think it's real where in our villages, pre-contact, lots of people would bring up the children. And uh, some folks role is to be the storyteller, the artist, you know, traveling guilds of artists would go between Tahiti and other islands. Um, so some people's role is not to be the child bearer. Some is to do this and others are to do other things. and. Those roles can change, of course, over time. And this like the real determinism, I think really comes from a violent form of Christianity uh, that's spreading across the world and also other um, fundament fundamentalist branches of religions where our, uh, at least in my, my limited understanding of pre-colonial religious practices in Samoa, uh, everybody had, it was a bit more like that film Midsummer where, you know, Elders would be cheering on the young ones having sex and, you know, this kind of celebration of life because things can be so fleeting and that we might be, our clan might be at war with those, those ones next week again. Or, you know, we're going to pause the six year war for a ceremony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's like that, um, though that level of intimacy has been also restricted to a, a space and a time, you know, and it's like, I've, I've had incredibly intimate like uh, uh, experiences that didn't end in sexual coupling, you know? Um, and so how do you acknowledge and recognize that level of like 
care and love for one another, you know? Um, and then how has that been weaponized to like separate and isolate people, you know? And it's like, you fools, you're gonna suffer that. You're gonna suffer it. And I, I think even like going back to this idea of the like village and community and stuff, our current models is, is really hard. This is a hard way to, to live, you know? Um, uh, me and my wife, Ginger, we have two boys and I would love a village, you know? I would love a village in all honesty, you know? Because there are, there are um, roles and responsibilities. Like, how can I be the caregiver and the disciplinarian simultaneously, you know? And growing up, my uncles and my aunties were, that was, the, that was their primary function. Um, but like, (laughs) it was my mom's whooping I was worried about, you know? And like, that's, that's such a traumatic kind of thing to, to, um, that most people have been subject to because of this, like intimacy being, um, uh, time and spaced, you know? Yeah. Hmm. I think we really, I don't know. I have a lot of different groups of friends in Montreal and Melbourne uh, here where we fantasize about having a village, um, indigenous and non-indigenous, different racialized backgrounds, whatever. And uh, I think there is that desire because of the alienation that uh, Western uh, social structures create pre-pandemic. And then it's absolutely heightened by this pandemic where it's like, I would just love to be told off by an auntie right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think a final thought from me uh, and relating to the island that you're from and the island that I'm from, well, the archipelago I'm from, the term in Samoan uh, for island is motu. uh, And then the term for archipelago is atu motu. So islands that are standing together. So we, I think this like connections that we're making now and that others are making uh, really reinforce. uh, And, you know, of course, this is like similar to archipelagic thinking from Edouard Guisson and other really amazing uh, MSs of Black Caribbean thinkers, which, you know, we're all on similar wavelengths. Nothing is ever brand new. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, I think maybe never was brand new, you know, like, um, that these things exist in, and it's a matter of how do you listen, how do you see? And I think that's the technologies that we could be and should be advancing on a, on a, you know, on a global kind of scale, you know? It's like, there are, there are songs that help you watch and understand the ripples in the water, you know? Um, there are songs that describe landscapes and belonging, you know, and places. There are dances, there are all of these things. And if you get hung up on the spectacle of that, then you miss the technology of it. And I think it's important that we figure out how to describe that technology and interpret it to one another, you know? And maybe that's, maybe that's why we do what we do and why we come together and why you know, these situations kind of uh, happen is because perhaps we are charged with that responsibility from our ancestors. To, to make those connections and to reinforce that connectedness in that because we're on a sphere. It's a big round sphere. And I don't know where I end and it begins. And so clearly, how could I know where I end and you begin? Yeah, there's something in that uh, that absolutely has been co-opted by uh, new age, <laughs> new age language and ideas. Where it's like, 
I say these things, I believe these things in my heart and I cringe, you know, when I do it simultaneously. <laughs> I think particularly, you know, we are made of so much water and this planet is composed of mostly water and uh, the kind of territorial continuity in so many indigenous languages, which doesn't really differentiate between land, sky, water, underground, above ground, you know, human or other beings. It's all a content. It's all this like beautiful uh, network of relationships in archipelago, whatever we want to call it. Um, and that's how we. That's how we get home. We we're gonna go circle back to these teachings and relationships. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm really grateful for uh, visiting with your family and your home and um, to uh, activate a relate to create a relationship um, in this in this month uh, from like admiring your work from afar to now, you know, uh, having a much more tangible connection and to see uh, the similarities, the differences, but the kind of the complementarities of what what our ancestors maybe had uh, in mind in each of our positions and each of our um, lineages. Yeah, so I'm really grateful for this connection as well. And to be, uh, I remember um, Marianne Nicholson, she said uh, once when when you're successful, it validates me. When you're making it, it validates me. When you win a battle, it validates me. And I think that's that connection uh, globally. You know, when uh, whoever wins against Monsanto, we're like, yes, you did it. Or, you know, <laughs> win against the TNT in, in Monawakea, you know, it's like, okay, we, 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 got, we, got, to, we got to win. And I think that's the same in, uh, in this world where we're, you know, I think I'm so grateful as well for, uh, creativity. I, I don't know that I actually chose it. I think it was written written in the stars before. <laughs> my you know, like as we were saying, like so many creative people in our lineages, um, but particular choices that our folks or ourselves were able to make uh, because of legislation changing, because of circumstances changing. Uh, I definitely think many more of my family would be artists if that, if that were possible. Um, so there's a I don't know, I don't want to call it a privilege. I think there's a responsibility to uh, access, to be mobile, to really forge these relationships that comes with that. <laughs> As Ginger and I say, jokingly, but in all sincerity, my whole life led up to this moment. <laughs> <laughs> my whole life has led up to this moment. <laughs> so far. <laughs> totally. <laughs> we we watch too much uh, reality TV, I think, <laughs> especially during the pandemic. It's like something that pops up all the time and we're like, yeah, duh. I've, I've been told to watch Mohawk Girls for a while. I think it's on Gunawaga, one of the reserves, maybe Six Nations. <laughs> oh, really? Huh. I got to find that one. <laughs> Well, I just want to say, Luli, I have been a really big fan of your work and thank you for like just being so open hearted and like chatting 
with Chinupa and by default Vanessa and I, you know, like it's been really restorative to like hear the commonalities and like I'm always trying to like bridge worlds and just hearing the way you think about stuff and process stuff has just like really rejuvenated me personally. So I just wanted to like give you a shout out and say thank you. And um Chinupa, you're cool too, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely art crushing on Layuli. <laughs> <laughs> I've exhausted my welcome. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, Anupa and Leoli. It was very, very interesting to sit here and, yes, observe and kind of engage in your conversation a bit. Um, I is, like, I'm from Six Nations and Brantford as well, so, um, and I'm fairly young. I'm only 21 years old, so... <laughs> I grew up in Brantford with my mom. So I'm just kind of getting really into my culture now and trying to learn as much as I can. So working with Imaginative has been an amazing opportunity and I'm just going with it and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Go with it. Yeah. And mahalo nui oko. Thank you so much. And I'll learn some words in Hidatsa. Yeah. Getiwa Matsugirats. Thank you very much. Getiwa Niwa Girishits. I love you very much. <laughs> so thank you all.